0: Never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have 7.7 trillion dollars worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is an economy of one with Gary Rathbun, president and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the Free Market Voice. Of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth, Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is our
1: country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. This is our Christmas show christmas show so uh last broadcast before christmas hope you're all ready we got a little little bit of uh christmas news to talk about a little later in the show bottom of the hour we got stephen moore stephen moore from the heritage foundation going to be joining us talking about several things but janet yellen raising the interest rates this week a highly anticipated event and uh the, the Congress, in the dead of night, passed a uh, spending bill that is absolutely incredible. And I mean that not in a good way. Our website is aneconomyofone.com, aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook page, an Economy one. Go to our Facebook page, see what my producers put up every day, and give us a like, if you like. I guess that's the modern vernacular. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, Janet Yellen did raise interest rates. This has been much anticipated. We've been waiting for this for a long, long time in the economy. It's been hinted at just about every uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting for the last, oh, my goodness, year, year and a half. This is the first action she has taken since she's been chairman of the Federal Reserve. That's almost two years. It'll be two years in February. So uh, it's about time she did something. You know, I mean, she's done nothing for two years other than give talks and go to meetings and that kind of stuff. Now, you know me, i just assume the Federal Reserve go away and not exist. But barring that, my second preference is that we let interest rates free float or clear float in the marketplace. Let the market set the price of money rather than the Federal Reserve. But that day will probably never come either. But she did raise interest rates, uh, 25 basis points this last week. And uh, initially, the market really liked it. Market took off. Market doesn't like surprises. It, 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 It doesn't like the unexpected. And the market was expecting a quarter of a percent increase in interest rates. That's what it got. It liked it. And so people bought stocks. And the market went up. Now, not everybody was happy with interest rates going up mainly outside the country it made the dollar a little bit stronger which pushed the price of oil down a little bit more it made the exchange rate for everybody else in the world a little worse off now for most countries that's not a big deal uh the euro not a big deal japanese yen not a big deal british pound no big deal where it makes a big deal is in emerging markets many companies and countries many companies in emerging markets and the emerging markets themselves borrowed money over the years and they borrowed money in dollars meaning they have to pay back in dollars so when a dollar gets stronger on the global market that makes paying that loan back much more expensive so china sadly enough, is classified an emerging market, even though they're the second largest uh, economy in the world, didn't want our interest rates to go up. Other emerging markets didn't want to, Russia. I mean, nobody wanted our interest rates to go up because the money they owe us, they have to pay back in higher-priced dollars. The other thing the the market seemed to respond well to was the... The narrative around the increase I said uh, to many clients you know it's not the quarter percent increase that is important it's what she says around that increase the rationale she gives and the hint at the next increase she raised the interest rate on Wednesday it took place on Thursday first thing Thursday morning people were talking about well when is she gonna do it again When is she going to raise rates again? And uh, that's going to be a ways off. It's probably second, third quarter 2016. And then it'll be mild. It'll be another 25 basis points or one-fourth of uh, 1%. So it was expected. I think it's a good thing. If we start heading toward recessionary times, this gives her a little bit more wiggle room. It gives her something that she can do. If she wanted to stimulate the economy, and, I, and please don't, don't take that as me implying the Federal Reserve should or can uh, stimulate the economy, but if she wanted to, uh, shall we say, pretend to do something about uh, recessionary times or, or inflation or something like that, now she's got a little bit of movement. She's got a quarter of a point of movement. She's going to want to get that up to 1, 2, 3% in the near future. Now that doesn't mean next month, doesn't mean next year, but she needs to get on track to getting up to 2, 3% in the uh, Federal Reserve rate so that the next time the economy goes into recession mode, she's got something to do. Granted, it's a red herring, if you will. It's uh it's form over substance, but that's okay because the market, site market, reacts to that form over the substance. So I think it was a good thing. I think it will help our economy in the long term. No question that banks are the main beneficiary of this. Banks will, uh, will do well with this. They, they immediately raise the interest rates they charge and have not raised the interest rates they pay. Don't expect them to. And it helps on what they call the, the uh, reverse repos. In other words, the money they have sitting at the Federal Reserve that earns interest. So, a lot of benefit. There's some downside. Cost of funds are higher. No question, if you want to borrow money, it's going to cost you more now. So, that may affect the home market, the uh, builder's market, people wanting to buy a new home or a different home and mortgage it. My comment has always been, my thought has always been, that if a fourth of 1% makes a difference in your house payment such that it alters your decision you're probably borrowing too much money or buying too much house anyway a fourth of one percent is 250 dollars per hundred thousand dollars of debt so it's not that's twenty dollars a month on a hundred thousand dollar mortgage so that's not very much but if that twenty dollars a month Causes you to pause into whether you should be buying the house or not. Let me help you with your decision. You shouldn't be buying the house. This 20 bucks. Really? That's cutting it a little fine. That's that's partially what got us into the problem in 2007 2008 was people buying at the absolute maximum loan value that they could afford. All it takes is one unexpected sickness, one layoff, one accident, one injury, something, and suddenly you're thirty days away from personal bankruptcy. So fourth of one percent this week, not a bad, bad thing. I think the good outweighs the bad on this. We're not a emerging market, so if we were an emerging market that you know we it would affect us more. But being the fact that people have to pay us back in dollars, I'm okay with a quarter quarter point increase. I think it'll it'll help the long term, and I think we should have some additional increases very, very soon. So up next, while we're talking about money, I want to talk about the velocity of money. I don't think we've talked about this before. This is fascinating stuff for a guy that really likes numbers like me. So uh, up next, we'll talk about the velocity of money and what it
0: means and where it's moving. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Economy of one with Gary Rathbun. You know, in
1: talking about the Federal Reserve and raising interest rates, uh, I can't help think about can't help but think about the velocity of money. Now, I don't think we've talked about this before, but the velocity of money is, in in scientific terms, it's an indicator that buyers and sellers agree on a price. Buyers and sellers agree on a price between themselves for a good or service, and the price is right. It's not an outlier. It's not skewed by anything. So a willing buyer, willing seller, reasonable price. Okay? So the velocity of money is how many times that happens during a given period to a dollar. So velocity is essentially how many times that dollar turns over through the year, indicating that people are reaching a, a agreed upon price for the transaction. Now, since two thousand eight, remember two thousand eight? That's a memorable year for many reasons, not the least of which that was the housing bubble uh speculative peak i mean that's when uh, it, it started crashing uh also when uh, uh we got a new president now during that time the us money supply okay what we call m2 went from 5.3 trillion dollars at the beginning of 2008 to 11 trillion this year So it's more than double Now on the surface, that should tell you that since 2008, we have roughly 50% inflation in those seven years, okay, averaging seven, 8% a year. Now we didn't, okay, we didn't, certainly not in the broad market across all areas. Some areas we did, some areas we had higher than that. But what happened is the, the, there's twice as much money out there in the money supply as there was just seven years ago. And look at what's happened during that time. Our national debt has pretty much doubled. We're approaching $19 trillion. By the way, the budget that was passed this week, $1.5 trillion. Thank you, Paul Ryan, new Speaker of the House. I guess we know which side of the aisle he prefers. President Obama got everything he wanted, and the Republicans got one or two things they wanted. We're going to talk to Stephen Moore a little bit about that uh, coming up next. But debt is 19 trillion By the time we get the next president, it'll be over 20 trillion. And interest rates have been at zero. So the fact that the dollar has remained strong in the world has mitigated somewhat the doubling of the money supply. Money supply has doubled. That should tell us we had 50% inflation, but we didn't. The market, the global market, absorbed those dollars relatively easily, relatively smoothly. But the velocity of money has always spiked just before a recession, with the, the exception of the dot-com bubble. The recession took uh, a year or so after the dot-com bubble peaked in the nineties, late 90s. So right now, the velocity of money is around 1.4, 1.4, 1. 4, and that is low. That is low. For 40 years or so, it stayed in the 1.7, 1.8 range. And that's, the, that's kind of the, the nominal number we want for the velocity of money. That doesn't mean it didn't spike and drop uh, through that trend line. It did. And we had some recessions between 1960 and 1990. But nothing very severe. And the velocity of money didn't move very much. Had a low of 1.68 up to a little over 1.9. Now it's down to 1.4. That should tell us a couple of things. One, probably not going to have a recession right away. Probably not right away. But when that starts spiking up, when we start seeing the velocity velocity of money go past 1.5, 1.6, I think we got to pay attention to that. I think we got to realize we're moving into bubble territory and that will happen if the world loses some of its appetite for dollars. Right now dollar is very strong and continue to stay strong and we're raising interest rates which makes the dollar even stronger. But once that starts leveling off and the velocity starts climbing up, we need to pay very, very close attention to that. Inflation will also follow that. As inflation kicks in, things become more expensive, and people are more willing to buy at a price because they feel that a future price of that commodity service or item will be higher so eat drink and be merry today for tomorrow it's gonna cost more so inflation starts spiking up the velocity of money will go up Yellen will be pressured more to raise interest to uh, interest rates to tighten money supply a little bit all of those are are indicators we need to pay attention to. And uh, it's something very few people talk about. I've followed the velocity money for, for most of my career, but I'm a chart guy. I, I love numbers. I love the X and Y axis and and plotting things out. I was that geek in high school that did really well in math and and couldn't make the basketball team. But that's another story in and of itself. But velocity of money always gives us an indication of monetary policy being manipulated or not most buyers and sellers usually agree on some price low velocity cannot happen in a free market the freer the market the higher the velocity and that's also an indicator so more manipulation, the Fred wants. The lower the velocity of money will be, the less free the markets are. Up next, my interview with Stephen Moore. I had the privilege of talking to him last Wednesday, and uh, we talked about uh, many different things: Janet Yellen, uh, the new budget, and a couple other things. So Stephen
0: Moore be up next. Gary Rethman, an economy of one. Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Stephen Moore. Currently, Stephen is a
1: Fox News contributor and a distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation overseeing the project for economic growth. He's also a senior economic contributor at FreedomWorks, where he's advancing public policies that increase the rate of economic growth and help the United States retain its position as a global economic superpower. Stephen, welcome to the show. Hi, Gary. How you doing? Good. Merry Christmas. Thank you, and to you and your family also. So Janet Yellen finally raised interest rates today, and it's one of those things that it seemed to be fairly anticlimactic. I mean, we've been talking about it for for a year or so about raising rates, and uh, the market didn't seem too upset with the increase today.
2: <laughs> well, no, it sure didn't. I mean, the market went through, what, 200 plus-point rise right. on the Dow. Uh, but, look, this, this was all uh, baked into the cake. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think it was the announcement by um, Yellen that, that caused the market to go up by 200 points because people already knew it was going to go up. Um, look, I think this was long overdue. I think yeah. we've had seven years of zero-interest rate <laughs> policy and easy money, and it hasn't gotten us anywhere. If you've got a losing economic strategy, you change it. Um, I, I just don't find – look, there's a superstition in Washington that is very – uh, widely. Believe that somehow you can create jobs and create prosperity and, and create uh, a better economy by printing money. Mm-hmm. Well, as I've always said, you know, if that's the case, then Mexico and Argentina should be the richest countries <laughs> in the world because all that's they right. do is print money. Uh, right. And we've tried this. And, you know, the, the point is for the average American, it hasn't had a positive impact. I mean, we've got 10 million people unemployed in this country. We've got no wage increases. The average family has actually lost wealth over the last 15 years. So where is the evidence? I mean, show me. Uh, where the evidence is that this uh, this policy of, of easy money and zero interest rates has helped the worker of America. I see none.
1: You know, we look at it from the standpoint as us baby boomers, and I'm a baby boomer, as we hit retirement, uh, the interest, the income we earn on our money has been virtually zero. And even though it went up 25 basis points today, I can guarantee you the CD rate isn't going up 25 basis points tomorrow.
2: Well, that's true, but low interest rates are good for the economy on balance, not bad, because they, they reduce the cost of capital and sure. they make it uh, sure. easier to uh, to, uh, to borrow for, you know, expanding or to take out a mortgage or something like that. Mm-hmm. But here's my point is that the problem with the U.S. economy over the last several years has not been a monetary problem. I mean, I, I don't believe in zero interest rates, but I look, my attitude is the impact of this <coughs> quarter percentage point increase in interest rates is going to be de minimis on the economy because the problems are fiscal. They're taxed. They're mm-hmm. regulatory. We're strangling our industries with regulations. We're taxing uh, profits and investment and business creation. So you, when you tax something, you get less of it. And again, this is one of these mythologies that somehow we're going to make up for bad tax and regulatory policy by, by uh, printing money. That That is a bad strategy. So now, now that we've got this new interest rate policy, let's see the feds do something about lowering the tax rates. Let's cut our corporate tax rate to 15%. Let's uh, roll back Obamacare, which is a negative for employment. Mm-hmm. Let's start drilling for our oil and gas. Let's start um, you know, building the Keystone Pipeline. All of those things will make the economy grow, uh, but I don't think Obama wants to do any of those things.
1: Speaking of that, and we'll pivot a little bit from the Federal Reserve, yesterday – Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, unveiled a $1.6 trillion budget. Is there anything in there that you see is going to help the economy very much?
2: Well, on balance, it's a very bad bill. And this was, remember, do you remember, it was about a month or six weeks ago, the Republicans caved into Obama, they mm-hmm. raised the debt ceiling, mm-hmm. and they got yep. rid of the budget caps. Yep. Well, this is the bitter fruits of that. So now they're <laughs> passing a $1.06 trillion spending bill that has all sorts of, you know, uh, ridiculous spending in there. Um, uh, but there is one good, and by the way, you would think that we were running surpluses, not, you know, half trillion to trillion dollar deficits, the right. way we're spending money in Washington. Both parties, by the way, are responsible for this. Yes. I'm a Republican. But I'm as embarrassed with with the Republicans as I am with the Democrats. And the dirty little secret is both parties like to spend money uh, that we don't have. Uh, The one good thing in this bill, maybe the one single thing that I can point to that is very positive, is that it lifts the moratorium on uh, exporting oil and gas from the United States. That's a four-year-old policy that has been a a straitjacket on American energy production. Uh, This is long overdue. Barack Obama didn't want to do it because his green, green energy plans uh you know, hate oil and gas production. Right. But, you know, we got more of this stuff than anybody else in the right. world, thanks to the shale oil and gas revolution. Right. We ought to be producing it, we ought to be exporting it, and we ought to be uh, using this as not just an economic tool, but a tool to defund the terrorists, because we know that ISIS gets all its money from petrodollars.
1: Right, right, absolutely right. And, you know, in reading through this, of course, you have the, the pundits out there that think lifting that, that export ban is a, a terrible thing and it's going to increase the the supply and drive oil down further and and that kind of stuff. But I'm with you. I I think it's, it's a small step toward more of a free market capitalism.
2: Well, these are pay- – look, I don't think it's a small – I think it's a big deal because is is we it? could increase our output by about $50 billion. Now, look, wow. this was amazing. Here we've got this terrible economy. We've got, you know, uh, terrorist incidents that are happening around the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I live in Washington, D.C. The terrorists say they want to go after Washington as the next target. So we're, we're very nervous about this. What does the president do? He holds a summit on climate change. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, Mr. President. That is not the highest priority for our country right now. It's not even one of the ten highest priorities. We've got to do something about terrorism. We've got to do something about the economy producing more oil here at home is going to do that he's saying we should keep this oil in the ground it's the dumbest thing i've ever heard why would we do that it hurts american workers and it makes us more dependent on foreign oil that that uh, that is basically funding the people are trying to kill us i don't get it
1: yeah anything in the economy any production any growth has to have energy and of course, we we got to have that stuff. Rieselers. Yeah. yeah. It,
2: and by the way, this is why low energy prices, I know like some places in the country that are producing well, uh, you know, like Texas and Oklahoma, North Dakota and parts of Ohio and parts of, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, West Virginia, they're hurt by the low energy prices. But everybody else is. I, look, I don't see too many p- people complaining about paying eighty nine a gallon <laughs> at the gas pump. I mean, do
1: you? No, no, especially this time of year. You know, they, <laughs> exactly. they got other things to spend their money on, you know. Yeah, and in Ohio, I mean, we're we're a big fracking fracking yeah, state here. I mean, we we've yeah. got uh, that's a big industry.
2: It is, but you know, as the there's an old saying, the necessity is the mother of invention. As, mm-hmm. as the you know, price goes down, the frackers are getting better at this. They're starting to make money at even lower prices. Uh, but for our manufacturing industry, for our transportation industry, for consumers, for the restaurant industry, for everybody else, low, low oil prices are a boom. I think a lot of people get this story wrong. We want the look, I want the price of oil to go to $2. You know? sure. So we sure. pay for, you know, a quarter at the pump because we still are in that. Importer of oil, so what we—the more the price goes down, the, the better it is for the American economy. It reduces our trade deficit, reduces our budget deficit, and so on. Uh, but other than that one element of the budget, I don't see much else good in this budget. I, I wish I could say it's all wonderful and we're getting the budget under control, but ladies and gentlemen, we're not. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Republicans are spending more than Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi said, I spent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I made the prediction that when they they uh, lifted the ceiling. On the national debt, that you'd see a jump of five six hundred billion, and sure enough, it jumped what? five six hundred billion dollars on And That
2: happened just in the first few first week. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know? you know i mean that was amazing i followed that we were at uh you probably know these better numbers but we were at about 18.1 trillion right. then they passed the suspension of the debt ceiling and two weeks later we we're at 18.6 trillion that's, that's a right. half a trillion dollar increase in the debt in you know seven days or yeah. something like
1: that yeah. well and, you know my thought process was they're going to make up for all the quote-unquote extraordinary measures they took by taking money out of government and pension plans and and cooking the books and all that kind of stuff, so... They, they had to make up for that, so they can cook the books again next time. You know?
2: well, they are so good at that. Absolutely. By the way, you know, if only they were as good at um, all the other things the government should do as they are at cooking the books, we would see some gigantic improvement <laughs> in our economy. I mean, uh-huh. the people can't run a website, they can't right. you know balance the budget, they can't deliver the mail on time, but they sure have found ways to make the the, the uh, budget look better than it really is. But yeah. you're, there's no there's no escaping the fact, no matter how much they try to cook the books, ladies and gentlemen, that our national debt. Is now eighteen mm-hmm. and a half trillion dollars. That is the uh, the largest debt in American history, uh, and if we don't stop this, you know, no country ever got rich by borrowing money, and right. that's what we're doing in spades. And we've done it under Democrats. We've done it under Republicans. I wanted. To, I was glad to see Rand Paul. I don't know if you saw that debate last night, but he mm-hmm. closed the debate by saying one of our greatest national security crises is is, is that's right up there with terrorism is our national debt, and yeah. he's exactly right. A great nation does not borrow and borrow and. borrow and borrow especially from our
1: enemies right right we're talking with Stephen moore distinguished visiting fellow for the project for economic growth at the heritage foundation and former economy and uh, public policy writer with the wall street journal since you mentioned the uh, presidential debate last night i'm not going to ask you what you think of anybody because that's uh, that's your own personal business. But right. from the what you've seen and, and the direction we're going, what message are they not putting out that they should be? I mean, I, I understand Rand Paul on the debt. I think that's, that's critical. But I was just talking to my board op during the break, and it seems like the media is just focusing on the uh, interpersonal comments and battles. And you wouldn't know anybody was running on the Democratic side.
2: You know, I would like to see them. That me last night, I watched most of it, and I, you know, like I thought they showed a lot of um, intelligence and a lot of uh, wisdom in terms of dealing with the, you know, the threat of uh, of terrorism, which is the greatest threat we faced in many, many years. But I would like to see them talk about, you know, what I just mentioned. That one way to really roll back terrorism is to defund them. How do you defund them? We stop. Buying their energy, right. we should carpet bomb their energy fields and oil fields, and then we should produce as much oil and gas as we possibly can here at home. We should produce it in Ohio. We should produce it in, you know, in uh, West Virginia. We should produce it in Texas and Oklahoma and North Dakota. Why do we want to buy our oil from Iran and from, uh, you know, Russia and, and countries that are out there trying to kill us? I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think this. So, in other words, what I'm saying is the energy issue is not just one of economics. I mean of the national security, it's of economic security, and those two things are very interrelated,
1: yeah, I can see where so much of the media, so much of the candidates, so much of the politicians in general try to change the narrative, try to change the dialogue to something other than what's critical and hard decisions, because I truly believe, and this is a cynical view of politicians. I think every single thought they have is based around whether it's going to get them one more vote or not. Well, there's a
2: lot of that going around. I mean, politicians are politicians. They're not angels. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to find, you know, decide for myself, you know, mm-hmm. who is the man or woman that's going to lead us. You know, I, I love Carly. I think she's strong. She's like the Iron Lady. She reminds me of Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I like, uh, I thought Jeff Bush was strong last night. I thought he made a bit of a comeback. Um, you know, I think um, we've got some really good, strong conservatives and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. So mm-hmm. it's a strong field. Um, we need, to, uh, we need to defeat Hillary. <laughs>
1: yes.
2: I mean, because yes. Hillary is not a woman who, who really has much to say about the economy. Uh, that's good. <laughs> and her reform so, policy is, is an exact duplicate of Obama's, and how could it not be? She was the one who was the Secretary of State when right. terrorism was allowed to uh, flourish around the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking with Stephen Moore. He's a Distinguished Visiting Fellow for the Project for Economic Growth at the Heritage Foundation and— Stephen, I really appreciate all your time tonight. I I know that everybody is tugging on you, wanting a piece of you. And, of course, we uh, chipped into your family time a little bit. So uh, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Uh, Hope you and your family have a great, great Christmas. And uh, hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon.
2: Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks a
1: lot, Stephen. Coming up next, American Enterprise Institute
0: study made just for me an economy of one with gary rathbun back to an economy of one with gary rathbun well it is christmas and what would christmas be without shopping right
1: uh I'm one of those guys that that really doesn't do any shopping. I'm also one of those guys that do not dump it all on my wife to go shopping. Uh we're a couple that gives out envelopes. I don't want to touch on that in a minute, but over the the the, the last week several things have have happened that uh I find both interesting and and somewhat disgusting and that's last uh this last week there were three three shopping malls that were evacuated during shopping hours because of potential bomb threats. Okay. Now, one in uh, uh, Largo Mall near Tampa, Florida, I've been there, uh, there was an empty suitcase in a shopping cart. Uh, Fire, uh, I think fire and rescue uh, were on the scene for some other, Uh, Reason whether somebody had a heart attack or an accident or something. I don't know, but uh, they saw a suitcase In a shopping cart near one of the stores and found it suspicious I don't know what a suspicious suitcase looks like Maybe it's a suitcase that has its own cart and nobody pushing it. I don't know But because of that suspicious suitcase They emptied them all emptied them all Brought in the bomb squad, found out the suitcase was empty, then let everybody back in. To the north, shops at Riverside in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. uh, Authorities learned of a bomb threat that scrawled on the wall of the bathroom. Same in Farmington, New Mexico. They found a threat on a woman's restroom wall. This is unbelievable to me. I mean, how many restrooms have the word bang and bomb scrawled on their wall in some context or another? Another reason not to use public restrooms, by the way, but that's my own personal choice. Anyway, you imagine how much money was spent and how much money was lost because of this? These people are quoted as saying, we want to make sure that everyone is safe. They can't make sure everybody's safe. I'm the only one that can make sure I'm safe. We are the first responders. That Those of us that may find ourselves in a bad situation, you're the first responder. Absolutely incredible. Same thing happened with public schools this week. Schools all over the country are getting emails threatening to blow things up and, and uh, release jihad on them and that kind of stuff. That, that's what we've come to. That's what our government has brought us to, such a state of fear that somebody writing something on the ladies' room wall, probably in lipstick, evacuates an entire shopping center. It's, I'm at a loss for words, and I'm rarely at a loss for words. But speaking of holiday shopping, every year somebody comes out, some economist Comes out this year. Uh, I'm looking at some research done by Stephen Landsberg. Uh, he's author of the book "Armchair Economist: Economists, Economics, and Everyday Experience." And we're talking. He's talking about holiday gift giving, and the thought process is his contention, and it's also mine. This was based on a study or an article in uh, American Enterprise Institute that uh, cash is. The most efficient way of gifting. Well, that's what I do. I do all my shopping at the bank. Little envelopes, my nieces love them, become a, a tradition in our house when they all come over for Christmas. And it gets rid of what's called deadweight loss. Deadweight loss, according to Yale uh, economist Joel Waldfocal, is based on people not quite getting the gifts they would get themselves. And he estimates the deadweight loss to be ten, between ten, one tenth to one-third of total spending. Now, there'll be $630 billion spent on Christmas this year. That means a deadweight loss of $63 billion to as high as $200 billion. His thought process is give cash, you get rid of the deadweight loss. Now, the argument is, well, part of the gift is the time and effort it took to go pick it out fine add a few bucks to the cash to compensate you for your time makes sense to me makes sense to my nieces they love it doesn't make a lot of sense to the retail world but if i was in a mall that got evacuated because of some lipstick writing on a ladies room wall i wouldn't go back in i'd say screw this i'll go home get on the internet do that or you know what, maybe that cash idea Rathman had's a good idea. I'll go to the bank, get some cash, hand out a little envelopes. You know the bank has special envelopes that you put money in and it shows the president through a little cutout in the envelopes. Terrific. I think it's the gift that keeps on giving. This way the kids can get whatever they want. It fits, it's their style, it gets rid of the dead weight loss. Am I being facetious? Only a little bit. I do give out a sh- for Christmas, and it's easy, and uh, the kids love it. So uh, give it some thought, Dead weight loss. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. Have a Merry Christmas. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time.
0: This is our country.
2: The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.